0: Hello, welcome back. I'm here with Lauren Wegman. Lauren, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, Al. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, of course. Hey, when you agreed to do this, I got really excited for a lot of reasons because we've been talking about doing something together for a while and, you know, finally things lined up and the fact that you are aligning the future of work with people analytics and workforce planning. Obviously, this is something that I'm passionate about, but I'm really excited to learn what you're up to. So if you would, introduce yourself and what you're going to be talking about today.
1: Sure. Yeah, I would love to. Hi, everyone. Um, So I'm Lauren Wegman. I uh, lead our people analytics team at Twitter. Um, My mission, our team mission, is to conduct research studies and uncover data-driven insights uh, to better attract, hire, engage, and retain the people that will carry Twitter forward. Um, my background is industrial organizational psychology, where I focus on the changing nature of work. And We're going to talk a little bit about that within the future of work, um, I'm sure, later later here. Um, but I am so excited to be here today, and I'm looking forward to our conversation, Al.
0: Well, likewise, Lauren. And let's start right up front uh, because full disclosure you and i went back on email a bit on what you'd be talking about and the key points and i really loved how you structured your thinking and i'll just call it out in my own perspective because i cite this chinese proverb time and again the beginning of wisdom is calling things by their right names and one of the things that you called out is You know what is the future of work so how about we start there what is the future of work to you
1: yeah i would love to start there i think it's a question that doesn't get asked all that often and i think it's so important for our understanding and grounding the discussion of what exactly this is um before i get into what exactly it is though i do want to confront a couple misconceptions from from my perspective um, one is future of work as we talk about it today. It's not really focused on the future. It's focused on the present. And the second is that future of work is some hot new topic. Um, that's brand new in the field. And I don't think that's true either. The, the concept that work, the worker, the workplace is changing is really not new. And ever since the, we could measure work, it's been changing and people have been talking about it and, um just go to a little uh, preview here for you to kind of show some um, highlights over Time Magazine. Um, Going back into the the 90s here, you can see how relevant um, this topic is now, but also was then. And I think to begin to understand and define the future of work, I think it's really important to not focus on future projections or start by describing the past, but in fact, I'm sorry, by describing the present, but actually, do focus in on the past and what we already know. So there's a lot that we that we know that can help us navigate this time period. And that, as I alluded to in my introduction, that was the focus of my my academic uh, life, my research career, um, and long you know, long story short, the TLDR over dissertation, thesis, publications, articles, you know, you you name it, um. What uh, what we found, right, is that work is more complex, especially in terms of the number of skills needed to perform successfully, the amount of autonomy granted, and the interdependency of the work. And instead of those things leading to positive implications for our workforce, what we found actually is that uh, they they lead to some negative implications, many of which we are uh, experiencing today, at least from a um popular press perspective so things like too much autonomy turning into over responsibility increased role conflict blurring the boundaries between work and home life decreased job satisfaction increased emotional exhaustion or or, um, burnout um and you know i think that this research provides um some best practices in terms of virtual work and async um, and there's, there's a lot that, that has been done there, uh, and I can kind of give you an example of, um, you know, some of the, the titles here, including um, the book that I co-edited, on um, The Changing Nature of Work uh, from 2020. And I think all of this research and all of this conversation is really a step in the right direction. But to me, there are really at least two differences that we're expan- that we're experiencing um, and expanding on in kind of understanding the changing nature of work and the future of work. And both of those to me are about the, uh, they fall within kind of this, this idea of psychological adjustment, right? So the first one, Al, um, you know, I think is obvious. You've, you've talked a lot about this in, in some of your other presentations, but this idea of being forced to change right? No one likes to do anything that they're forced to do. You take away options. You leave, you leave us in an uncomfortable place. And so I think that that's the first piece. And then the second one, you know, in, in my opinion, this is one of the first times in our history that we've had to combat such deeply held norms about working, probably since women entered the workplace, I think could be a, a close likening there. But things like commuting in, You know, things like nine to five, um, emailing a colleague who sits, you know, down the down the hall from you, um, working at your desk, sitting at your cubicle, getting invited to the corner office. Whether you love these concepts, hate these concepts or fall somewhere in between, um, you know them. Right. Mm -hmm. You know what they mean. You know what goes on behind the scenes and you can navigate this world. But given the complexities of today and the increased pace that we're experiencing changes to work, I really don't think the best practices of the past will always work for today's problems. And I don't think the best practices of today are going to work for tomorrow's. And I, I really believe that the key here from an employee perspective and from a um, policy perspective is around strategy and how do we create those flexible processes and schemas which can change with the changes occurring. Um, so I will, I'll stop there. I know I said a lot, Al, what um, What are your thoughts on no, that? No, I'm
0: just smiling because I, I love the way you think so much because it, it has to be yelled from the mountaintops because there's been so much what I'd call inertia from the past or legacy thinking that's carried the day. Hey, we did this here. We did this, you know, it's it worked here. Therefore there's an implication that it's going to work. Where it's comfortable,
1: it's comfortable to fall back into that approach. Yeah,
0: 100%. And you know, to translate what I heard you say is that we have to learn at speed, at scale, and in a sustainable way. And that requires data, (laughs) that requires you know, analyzing the right things. And where I want to ask you, ask a question. It also requires, correct me if I'm wrong, the right audience. So who's gonna be consuming this insight to make the fundamental changes that are gonna affect the worker experience? So there's my question for you. Who is the audience for the work that you are doing there at Twitter? Well, I
1: think think the audience is is everyone. I think you can look at this from multiple perspectives. I think you can look at it from a business standpoint. So um, let me take let me take an example um, specifically around uh, um, specifically around predictive uh, analytics, because obviously that's our that's our topic here today. That's what we came to came to talk about. And um, I'm going to pick on a current topic like the great resignation, right? Very popular. A lot of talk about this negative implications for organizations. And so I start with the question of what if you as an employee, as a manager, as a business leader, as an industry leader, what if you had a way with a certain degree of likelihood to predict how many employees overall, as well as in critical roles or hard to hire positions, uh, leadership, um, any subset that you care about would leave, would would look for another job? in six months, nine months, or 12 months. And so, you know, from a business standpoint, then you could be thinking about um, how do we deploy targeted retention or recognition or development opportunities for for this subset? Um, How do we build out our our sourcing pipeline to be ready for attrition? The idea being decrease our time to fill, leading to quicker time to perform. Um, Even looking internally at our internal pipelines and focusing on succession planning from kind of the, the team, the manager level, what about um, understanding that the number of predicted attrits and how that can impact your budget and your headcount planning. Um, from a, a recruiting perspective, th- th- so many implications for capacity planning within TA and even the ability to gain insight on interview and hiring manager bandwidth and fatigue, um, especially as attrition increases. And then as an employee, I think one of the big things um, right now that that I'm hearing a lot about in in the press is this idea of why folks are leaving and what can we do to keep them. You know, what what can we do to keep them here? And to me, we have to be able to successfully identify drivers of attrition. Not just look at low engagement scores and not just look at high workload scores, but even look at what is driving it. Is workload driving attrition? And and it's a little. Bit more than that too because what does that even mean how do you action that how do you take that result of that model and actually do something with that information and um i think what you need to look for are the behavioral implications that this has so are employees having meetings at unfriendly hours that are driving that increased workload you know, how many hours of screen time on average, how many hours of meeting? And, you know, Al, I think that gets into some of the um, data parts of your question as well, um, kind of opening up new uh, interesting avenues of, of um, data to connect within the HR space. And and just that was just a sampling of, I think, some of the strategic capabilities that people in analytics can unlock for organizations using predictive modeling.
0: Yeah, I... I love that you are focusing, because you, you. I'm very particular to language for reasons that I cited at the outset, um, like capacity I heard and workload. Workload is something that is often talked about uh, in a kind of esoteric sense. It's like, okay, people have a certain amount of work, um, but it sounds like you're actually measuring it and looking at it as a driver of attrition or potentially on the other side, driver of engagement and productivity. Uh, can you speak to how you do that? And is that uh, something that is a focus of leadership as well?
1: So I will I will clarify, we're not actively doing that today. Um, what we are doing is we're taking more of a perception-based approach to workload. So trying to understand at what point is kind of too, um, too many meetings, not enough focus time um, decreasing uh, satisfaction with productivity. What I was alluding to though, is that as you know as um, more um, data collection um, becomes available and has become available, there are tools that collect uh, slack data, calendar data, um gcal data email data and have that ability to be able to really understand you know if um if you have a low manager satisfaction score maybe it's due to the number of one-to-ones that you're not having with your your manager and so being able to set behavioral slas i've in kind of thinking about the future that's that's where i think um we're going to be going is more data non-traditional hr data sources becoming more common for understanding hr programs and the employee experience
0: wow uh, behavioral service level agreements am i understanding that right
1: yes yes i
0: love it um <laughs> it's it's the case where you know we're <sighs> people analytics can get very um highfalutin shall we say <laughs> uh you know you can get very uh, into the math into the tools and, and all that however at the end of the day we're talking about people's lives and there has to be a certain level of uh, respect and appreciation for that and so what i want to ask is that you there in your role obviously you've been there for a while uh, you have leaders commissioning the work because they deem it important, um, and I imagine they deem it important for business purposes as well as humanistic purposes. So, can you speak to that uh, potential, you know, tension by doing right by the employee while also looking at you know driving business value and productivity?
1: yeah this is one of the things i love about working at twitter is that we really care about our people um we have a hashtag love where you work uh that is used all over twitter and and other sources um when when we go into our brick and mortar offices there's um a a bunch of um a bunch of those hashtags around um and it, it really creates this culture of you know caring about the employee uh, in in uh, from my perspective uh, what this looks like is within um, kind of within my, my remit um surveys so always focusing on or including things around wellness even before wellness was a, a topic to include we were including things like that um, on that satisfaction with productivity on that satisfaction with workload with um with um, focus time like i said before and i think that the perception piece is just as important as that behavioral piece. And I, I ultimately I think both is is what's really needed in order to unlock and understand what we can do to optimize um, either from an employee from a day-to-day perspective, from a manager in designing your team, uh, from a from a leader in navigating your business, uh, from a department. Um, and meeting your business goals. And so um, I do have an example at Twitter, Al, if you're you're interested that touches a bit around um, our uh, diversification objective. Let's do it. Okay so um for those of you who may not be familiar uh twitter we have we have a diversification objective which is around building playbooks for distributed work uh and um diversity equity and inclusion and so the example that i want to share it's it's within the diversity space and specifically around representation targets that we set externally uh to be 50 percent of our tweets which are our employees identifying as as female uh, and ten and ten um, who identify as Black and Latinx within the U.S. by the end of twenty twenty five, and in order to set these and track progress, uh, we use predictive modeling to determine KRs uh, and ultimately drive diversity representation growth, even during the pandemic, um, and so. to, to start thinking about this, um, you know, uh, like many tech companies when I was, when I was looking at this data to begin with, um, it looked like what you would expect, what you would assume, right? Less women, less URPs overall, especially in tech and leadership roles. Um, and then, uh, what actually started to to happen is that we were um, a couple years in and we were actually seeing a great impact Um, and that can be seen in in some of our numbers here shared from our most recent um, IDEA IDEA 2021 annual report which reports our diversity metrics um, on a quarterly basis Um, and so looking at this this is great good progress but the question to me then becomes how did this change occur and you know, there's not there's not one answer. There's many factors. There's plans. There's initiatives. There's amazing colleagues across the people team, across the um, across the company who all worked together cohesively to really drive this change in representation. But since we're here today to talk about people analytics and workforce planning, um, I'll focus on my team's contributions here. So, uh, step one, uh, we started with where we are today. I really like the saying and I I know it's used a lot by Peter Drucker that you can't manage what you can't measure. I firmly believe that. Um, And so our first step was really increasing awareness of where we are today and where we came from. Uh, in, In order for this work to be successful, we believe that every employee at Twitter needs to understand what we're trying to achieve together. And this is not just the executive team. So that's why we created uh, an internal diversity dashboard, so that any tweet can track uh, change in real time. Um, and that's a that's a example there. That's also included in our um, in our blog, kind of showcasing what it looks like, uh, as well as some of the the functionality that's achievable. Um, and. You know, I think that this is really that this helped increase um, this helped increase visibility and this this enabled any uh, any employee at any level to go in and not just see company level representation, but to drill down into different teams, into their team and start to really understand what are the challenges and what are the trends there. And so step two um, is the modeling piece. And so focusing on model modeling the possible futures. Based on past hiring and attrition, it probably is no surprise is that what we predicted to be in or where we predicted to be in one, two, and three years was not where we wanted to be. Our predicted future actually looked a lot like our recent past. Um, and so we, we played with probabilities. We played with likelihoods. We focused on what if we could hire X percent more or what if. Um, What if we had the capacity from recruiting to hire a bit faster? Um, And so we ended up projecting different futures and what they could look like in terms of representation milestones and what we would need um, in order to reach those milestones uh, and thus kind of rolled it up into company-wide goals, which we call KRs. And then the final step, because modeling is is great and good, you know, access to data is is very important. But none of this is effective without accountability. And so, you know, we we believe that accountability needs to start at the top for these types of initiatives. And so, in addition to those company wide goals that I referenced, um, we s- actually sent uh, set workforce representation. Um, targets for our um, for our different orgs or, or departments. Um, and we worked with our executive team to clearly define their stake of responsibility for driving uh, progress here. So we took into account things like the size of the team, uh, the businesses they lead, the, their open headcount, their strategy, their projected pace of hiring and attrition. Uh, and that leads me to to the outcome um, from from the visual in that over time we were able to change our projected trajectory. And now we're much closer to those 2025 KRs than where we projected three years ago. And I, the the trend chart here I think is um, is interesting in that you can see the change in slope from 2020 into 2021. Uh, and I I hope that we can do that again uh, from 2021 to 2022.
0: Yeah, as you're sharing this, yeah, what is the receptivity of leadership, you know for your work? And I know this is like, oh, they love it. you know I, I, but when you talk about accountability, um, and some people might have some defensiveness if certain initiatives don't reap the desired returns. So I it's my belief that leadership has to have, in one form, thick skin, in another form, just a growth mindset, this insatiable curiosity and willingness to learn and let go of some of their uh, mental models of the past that might not be applicable to what you asserted earlier, that might not be you know, applicable to today. So is there that receptivity and that growth mindset, or is that something, frankly, that you had to coach them on uh, so they did not take this uh, information maybe kind of it might have feared it beforehand you know can you speak to that a little bit a little bit
1: i i sure can um and i i have to say i'm very lucky uh, in that our our leadership on the people team as well as across the company is very very data driven um my um, my boss, the wonderful Delana Brand, who is the CHRO of of Twitter, came up through um, is also the head of of diversity and kind of came up through through that space, uh, and so very much uh, believes in the the power of you know the power of this work. I think a good example of this is when I started at Twitter three a little over three years ago. I had a team of four, and now we're close to 20, and we've been growing um, at that rate right throughout the the years of the pandemic. And I I truly believe it's because of the insight and the the recommendations. I think it's more than insight. I think it, I think it's I think it is the the actionable recommendations that we're able to make to help um, to help better the employees, the managers, the the HR team, and and the business overall. Um, and to your question, I liked this uh, to your question about what like what happens when you're presenting something that may not be expected or may not be in the direction that, you know, that that the, that the business wants to go or that that business leader thinks, you know, it is um, is where they need to go. And I think that's where the critical conversation comes in. And that's those are the important change moments. Uh, and so going into those conversations, I prep with understanding why. Why did we not meet that target? What's going on behind the scenes? Um, and a lot of times our survey data is a great source there. Our HRIS data is also you know, full of um, very useful information to be able to, to confirm or validate um, hypotheses. And so you do a little bit of hypothesis testing, and even if you don't have the one you know, causal reason, you can, you can go in and you can explain, hey, here here's some things that are going on, some factors at play that are likely impacting this situation. And why don't we work on focusing there and solving for those? And then we'll see that outcome shift. So it is about refocusing not on the outcome, the outcome, the outcome, but on those drivers of that outcome. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I just what I'm hearing is there's an openness to uncertainty and probabilistic decision making you know the idea that oh here's this piece of insight and this is the answer and therefore we're going to do that and everything's going to be okay you know obviously that's not realistic let alone a healthy mindset so glad you're in an environment where that is appreciated well, I know we me only too. have <laughs> yeah, I bet um, and that's not always the case unfortunately um, so I have a couple more questions before we we wrap here and um, we, we're gonna have to have have you back on so you, we can discuss this even more? Because I, would love I it. yeah, when, when you talk about bringing together the future of work with predictive analytics, and you also are working on workforce planning. And so, can you speak to that just a bit? And I want to wrap by talking about your team because I know you mentioned your team a little bit, but you're you're hiring as well, so you're building your capability. But before that, that you true. know, workforce work, work planning. What what is it to you? Does it incorporate not only talent acquisition but internal mobility and, and development as well, or is it focused primarily on talent acquisition?
1: So, I I mean, the, theoretically, it should be. It should be across everything, right? It should be it should be like people analytics, which touches each each point here. Um, and you know, I think that workforce planning is absolutely critical for success in companies navigating the um, the, the workforce um, and or the the changes that we're experiencing today. Um, and you know, I think that people analytics plays a really invaluable role in. Um, bringing in, you know, not just the workforce metrics and, and the trends and kind of the, the scenario planning that's that's more typical within the workforce planning space, but actually putting that strategic, you know, capability ahead of workforce planning. And I think that that can only come in uh, from bringing people analytics and workforce planning together to have that, that overview, right, of, of what is going on and bringing that prediction side too.
0: I'm smiling because I, I'm just happy somebody else is saying it. So it is, it's, it's absolutely true. I, when I hear people doing workforce planning, I'm asking, you know, what data are they using? Is it just a theoretical process? Is it, or, you know, to what, extent, you know, are they studying their workforce, not only in the external environment? So it sounds like, you know, you're doing both and that work, um, as much as we like to wave a wand and it magically happen, uh, actually takes people, it takes technologies, it, it takes standing up processes. So can you speak to the nature of your team and those roles you're looking to fill?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, So my uh, my team. Is organized into kind of three sub teams under people analytics. So we have uh, a people data science team who is responsible for all of our data visualizations and reporting on candidate and employee data. They are also the ones that have a relationship with our IT team, with our systems team, um, and um, own the HR side of our uh, data warehouse data management system. So the skill sets um, on that team are really focused around data management, data engineering, as well as uh, data visualization and, of course, analysis. Um, and I'm hiring for two roles on that team right now. One is a manager uh, position who is uh, focusing on um, um, reporting uh, and so dashboard building and then a workforce analyst as well, um, and my, my second sub team uh, is surveys and research, and that's kind of half and half. So I, I as you've probably told from from my uh, answers earlier, um, surveys, I think, is so important to uh, predictive work. Uh, and so we have um, kind of a full suite of lifecycle surveys and, and a team that manages that and an open role on that team for a tool specialist. On the research side, um, really focus on the, the predictive modeling, the um, external understanding of the labor market. We have a good understanding of our internal data. So bringing in that external labor market, marrying those together uh, and understanding what predictions we can make um, and how we're doing is, is just absolutely critical. And then the last, uh, the last team is applied science. Uh, and that team is, um, kind of your more traditional IO psychology background and they are our consultative arm. Um, their charter is to build measurement and validation into everything that we do as a people team. Um, yeah, so that, that's the lay of the land, Al.
0: <laughs> that is some landscape now. I mean, from four people to, to that, that's, uh, that we've
1: been busy. A,
0: yeah, that's a, well, congratulations. Cause that doesn't happen, uh, on accident, it happens because a lot of good work was delivered and there's a belief that you're delivering critical value. So kudos to you and, and your team and uh, keep up the great work. And again, we're going to have to have you back on because there's more to investigate and, and share. But you know, I, I want to call it out. Uh, you're one of the few who um, has, in my view anyway, brought together this potentially esoteric notion of future of work and brought it into the here and now and how it affects decisions around you know, measurement strategy around you know, diversity equity inclusion employee experience strategy and of course as you mentioned there at the end you know workforce planning so it does take a concerted you know thoughtful approach and it sounds like that you have you are doing that <laughs> um there at twitter well,
1: thank so. you Alex. it's definitely my passion for sure
0: yeah, we can see that. It comes through. It comes through. Well, again, thank you for sharing. Uh, how can people learn more about you and what you're doing? We'll put up the, uh, you're on Twitter, I imagine.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Please reach out to me on Twitter at peoplephd.
0: All right. And uh, again, thank you. You be well and we'll see you soon. Yeah. Sounds right. good. Thank Take you. Care. Thank you. All right. Bye bye.